coming down to the very short strokes. My plan this morning is to study from verses 8 through verse 15. The rest we will leave for next week. And we will be wrapping up this book of Revelation, which we've managed to do in, I guess, about almost a year and a half, a year and three or four months. Uh, something that I've really enjoyed immensely. We'll, we will be going to the book of Romans, Paul's Epistle to the Romans, once we've completed Revelation. So read with me, if you would, verses 8 through 15 this morning in chapter 22. Uh, And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours uh, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and let the one who is filthy still be filthy, and let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and let the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter to the gates of the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Again, if you think all the way back to the very beginning of this book, we realize that This book is is given to John uh, by an angel from Christ uh, in the form of visions. And in those visions, not only include him seeing, but they very often include him hearing. So these are things that he's actually experienced himself. He's seen these things with his own eyes. He's heard these things with his own ears. And he has written them down as Jesus had instructed him to do back in the beginning of the epistle. uh, That these words, these visions would go out uh, to the people there in those seven churches in Asia Minor. First of all, and then beyond that. And then down through the generations and the centuries all the way to where we find ourselves this morning. John saw and heard that he would convey to us the things that revealed were revealed to him. After all, we do say that seeing is believing, right? No one has to convince John that what has been revealed to him has come to him from none other than God himself. The second time John is in the presence of this angel and uh, he falls down at his feet and with the intention of worshiping this angel. 
Now you and I look that look at that, we read that, and we are aghast. Because we know that God alone is worthy of worship, not angels. But what if I were to challenge you with the idea this morning that if indeed an angel appeared to you and I this morning in this sanctuary, that there's a possibility, a likelihood that our intention or our inclination would be to fall down and worship that angel. Because who here has ever seen one? Who here has ever been in the holy presence of God? See, well, I would imagine when angels are present, then there is a real sense of the presence of divinity. Because angels come into the holy presence of the fullness of God. They bear holiness, perfect holiness, without which they could not do that. One of the things you find is in the Bible when people are con- confronted with angels is, is very often they are fearful. One of the emotions that, that, that is very apparent when people encounter angels is fear. Because they know that this is a being they like they've never seen before. This is a being of great power. This is a being that, 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 of the, the, the greatness of the glory of God. You see it over and over again when people encounter angels in the Bible. One of the things I was struck with is if you remember that when, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive those Ten Commandments and he spent 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain with God and we came back down from the mountain that he glowed, that his face shone forth very brightly. Because he had been in the holy presence of God. This is the abode of angels. This is where they spend most of their time. The angel won't stand for it. (laughs) Do not do that. How many times do you ever remember your mother, your father telling you, do not do that? I mean, these are words almost of scolding. And, may, and they may, maybe they, they really should be. Because John should know better. He clarifies things for John. That he really is nothing more than a fellow servant. He serves the same God that John serves. And the same God that the, uh, his brethren, the prophets, had served. And all of those who heed the words of this book, worship God and worship God only. He is the only one that is worthy of our worship and of our praise. Not angels, not other people, no one else. He is worthy of worship indeed. He is worthy of the greatest worship there is. I hope that you've worshipped that God this morning in a special way as we do when we come together in community. But my hope is that 
that you will recognize worshiping God as being an aspect of your reality in everything that you do. I would hope that during the week that you would, you would constantly be in prayer. I would hope that you sing during the week. How many people here listen to Christian radio? I do. And let me tell you, when I'm driving down the road, I'm not just listening, I'm singing. It's not unusual for me to walk in here on Monday morning. Because one of the places I come to when I pray for you guys is in here. And very often it's on Monday morning. And I start out my prayer time by singing. We need to worship God in all that we do. It should be something that has a bit to do with everything that we do. We can worship God when we're mowing the grass. We can worship God when we're washing washing the dishes. We can worship God when we're fellowshipping with other believers. We can worship God, we can worship God, we can worship God. And the more we worship God, the more we can worship God. Worshiping God is not necessarily something that comes natural. It certainly doesn't come natural to to sinners. What sinners want to do is self-worship. I mean, after all, everybody worships something. And, and the biggest problem, as far as worship goes, for everyone is this, is we tend to worship most of all ourselves. We think we're the most important thing there is. What affects me directly is what is important to me. Let's be honest, when we hear something going on, the first question that pops into our head is, how is that going to affect my life? What is that going to do to me? You understand becoming a, believing, a believer is, it encompasses many things, and one of those is dying to the idea of being a self-worshipper. Of understanding that we do not deserve worship in any shape or form, especially from ourselves. That God alone is the one who is worthy of worship. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He said to me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy, this book, for the time is near. Remember, Daniel had prophecies that were very similar, visions. And God told him to, to seal those up for a time. These visions of the book of Revelation are not to be sealed up. They've never been sealed up. From the time that they were given to the Apostle John, they have been available to the church through the word of God. They are for the church. They are a gift to the church. Not something to be withheld from it. The time is near. We've already talked about that. There are actually a couple of Greek words that have to do with time. One is chronos, which is which is basically the span of time. 
The other is kairos, which has to do with a specific point in eternity. And that's what he's talking about here. That there's a point in eternity. It's been established since eternity. It's always been eternity, right? There's no beginning. It's been established in the mind of God for all of eternity. The day when Christ will return. Might surprise us, but it will not surprise him. We talked a lot about this last week or two weeks ago, and, and that is this, that uh, we need to look upon every day. When we wake up every morning, we should consider always the possibility this could be the day that Jesus returns. We should anticipate his, the imminence of his coming in that manner. And we should live every day as if it were that day. Being a Christian is activity. It doesn't mean doing this, that, and the other on occasion. It doesn't mean doing this, that, or the other for a while and then having a time of retirement where nothing is required of us anymore for the rest of our lives. Christianity of the Bible is activity. It's being engaged. It's being involved continually, constantly, unceasingly. In a lot of things, but one of those is in the worship of our great God. Just remember Peter had to deal with this issue in his day. People already were saying that Jesus isn't coming because he hasn't come yet. And he said he was coming soon. And what Peter challenges with is the idea that we must consider these things on the scale of eternity. God's time scale, not the time scale that you and I are, are, are used to that's determined by the rotating of the earth and its revolution around the sun. God's time scale is eternity. And the measly little 2,000 years that have taken place between the time Christ came first and the time where we are is a speck. may seem like a long time for people, but it's not a long time at all for God. We know that Jesus is coming, and Jesus will come when Jesus is ready. And only God knows that time. Even the angels in heaven do not know the time when Christ will come. And we need to anticipate his coming all the time. It certainly will change the manner in which we live our lives. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and let the one who is filthy still be filthy, and let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and let the one who is holy still keep himself holy. What's pictured there is something that we've considered all through this book, and that is that people are on one of two paths. They're on a path to holiness, or they're on a path to destruction. That's what this whole book is about, those two paths. Unbelievers are descending ever more deeply into 
darkness, into depravity. There is no standing still. Either you're going ahead or you're going backwards. But you're going in one direction or the other one. And that is true for every person. Either you're descending more into darkness or you're ascending more into the light of Christ. Being a Christian is a progressive thing. It's not whammo-bammo, I become a believer, and, and you stay in the state, the condition that you're in at that point. We grow in Christ. We grow in righteousness. We grow in holiness. We grow in our sanctification. We grow in our love for God, and we grow in our love for his people. Jesus says again in verse 12, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me. To render to every man according to what he has done. Now some people read that and they say, sounds to me like we're going to be judged based upon our good works. What we've done. And just remember this, that when it comes to the time of judgment, that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The New Testament is very clear on that particular thing. That every one of us will stand before the throne of God and we will give an account to him. There's a difference, however, between believers and unbelievers. Unbelievers will be judged and they will be judged harshly. Not more harshly than they deserve. But they will be punished based upon their depravity. Their punishment will be equal to the crime, not more, not less. They will be cast into the eternal lake of fire forevermore. Their torment will not cease. Their love for God will not get any better because they have none for him to start with. Their hatred of him will grow it will become ever worse, not better. They will not repent. They will never repent. There will never be a word of repentance that crosses over their lips. There will never be a thought of repentance that passes through their mind. Their hatred of God will grow ever greater. God could have left us all to that. He had every right to do that. But because he is a loving and gracious and forgiving God, he chose not to. Instead of judging all people and throwing them into hell for eternity, he sent forth his only begotten son. The son whom he has loved for all of eternity and with a love that is so full that you and I cannot even begin to fathom it. Our love is always tainted with sin. God's love is not. It's perfect. It is holy. It is righteous. And that is the love that is shared between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit 
And it has been so for all of eternity. And yet that son agreed to come into this world, to take upon himself the flesh of a man, to do this not for himself, but to do it for fallen sinners like us. He lived a difficult life. He died a horrible death. Knowing all along that that's where it would end. It wasn't that the crucifixion is something he found out at the last minute. He knew about it when he came. He knew that's where he would go. He knew how his end would come. But he also knew that on the other side of it, that he would be resurrected from the dead. Think about Isaiah chapter 53. Just remember this, that what Jesus suffered on the cross was the equivalent of the punishment due for the sin of every one of his elect. It pleased the Father to bruise him. For us. We were talking about sanctification, and that is there's a sense in which we are holy right now, and it's because God the Father looks upon us through Christ Jesus, who is our holiness. Reality, guys, is Jesus accomplished salvation for us in every aspect. None of it is our doing. He's done it all. You may say, well, I have my faith. Yeah, you do have your faith, but do you know why? Because he gave it to you. You still have faith because he sustains you in your faith. If it were not God's strong hand upon all of us, we would fall away in no time, all of us. No exceptions. I've used this in the past, and it's only later on I figured out and remembered or found out that the picture wasn't exactly the way I pictured it. But, 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 but for years, I remembered this picture that we had of Matthew when he was a little infant, standing on the beach with me beside him. And the only thing you can see is our silhouettes because the sun's coming up. And Lori took this picture, and I had always pictured it with Matthew holding on to my little finger. actually saw the picture recently, and he's not holding on to me. But I love the picture the way I had painted it in my mind. Because it's our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is not dependent upon our ability to hold on to him. If that were so, we would fall away in nothing flat. Our relationship with him has to do with his ability to, to hold on to us. And when he grabs a hold of us, he will never, ever let us go, ever. Period. You don't have to be concerned about that. If God has a hold of you, you're his, period. Whammo, bammo, done deal. No way you can fall away. 
He will not let you. Even though you still have a wandering mind and a wandering heart sometimes. God is a strong God. We rely on His strength. Not our own. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ends. We've already talked about that in the past. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Do you feel blessed? Do you feel blessed by God? We ought to. Because let me tell you, God doesn't bless everybody. He doesn't have to. And he doesn't do that. And probably the greatest mystery for every one of us ought to be this, and that's the question, why me? Why? And let me tell you, you'll probably never have an answer to that question. The answer is basically this. You don't know. God knows. And that's all that matters. Just remember, there are two paths demonstrated in this book. One is the path to holiness, and the other is the ascension into eventually the lake of fire. That in the kingdom of God, things will be paradise. But outside the kingdom of God, it will be nothing like paradise. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. It's funny. Uh... You guys have seen this, and maybe some of you relate to this more than other people, but you see more and more people developing these really deep relationships with their pets. I mean, maybe that's been true for some degree for a long time, but but you see it more and more prominent. You know, people showing up just about anywhere they go with their dog on a leash and, uh, and that sort of thing. And let me just tell you something. There's nothing wrong with loving your pets. Matter of fact, believers should treat animals very well, very nicely. But it's scary when people allow their relationships with their animals to begin to supplant their relationships with other people. I saw a very disturbing survey, the results of this survey just just a year or two ago that really doesn't surprise me. It really should have. But someone had surveyed a group of younger people, millennial people. 
and put this scenario before them. And that is, okay, what I want you to do is picture this. As you're looking out on a water body and you see your, own, your dog is out drowning. But at the same time, your other eye, you see there's a person out there drowning also. And then they were asked the question, which one would you try to save first? 75% of them said their dog. Dogs are not made in the image of God. People are. People are the most important things in all of creation. Because we bear God's image. So, I mean, do you understand what's going on here? And that is this. Is, is people are allowing a place that only God's image should occupy. And let me just tell you this. Very often what you're finding is this is people, instead of having, they're not having relationships with people. And I have big concerns about the generations that are growing up right now. And one of those is this, is they're losing the ability to have relationships with other people. Things like cell phones are... They're, they're, they're contributing to all of this. Their idea of relationship is to text people back and forth. Sitting in class not so many weeks ago, and, 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 and students started coming in, and every single one of them, the first ten that came in, they all did exactly the same thing. They didn't say a word to me. They didn't say a word to anybody else in the room. They sat down at their desk. They got out their cell phone, and they started doing their thing. Our young people today are being crippled by this stuff. They no longer know how to have relationships, loving relationships with other people, up close and personal. That is destructive to them. It's destructive to everybody around them. It's destructive to our culture. And it is becoming more and more pervasive. They have relationships through things like Facebook. Most of us are older, and we can remember those days. All of us, when we were in, in, in school, in elementary school, in middle school, in high school, we had friends that we hung around with, and we, and we were close to, and we shared things with, and we had deep discussions with, and that sort of thing. Let me tell you, deep discussions, they have very few of them. I can remember when I was younger, one of the things I enjoyed most of all was to sit around with my grandmother and listen to her talk. To tell us about what life on the farm in South Georgia was when she was a kid and she had 12 brothers and sisters. Most young people today cannot relate to anything like that at all. They have never had that conversation with anybody. And you've heard me say this before, I think older people are contributing to the problem because older people very often today don't want relationships with younger people. If that's not true, how can you explain to me these massive residential areas, uh, the developments where younger people are not allowed to live? 
What message does that send out to younger people? That is basically this. We don't want to have anything to do with you. When we were younger, the older people were the ones that you went to when you needed godly advice and counsel and wisdom. Most of those younger people out today don't have those people in part of this because those people have stepped out of the picture. There's a sense in which many in the older generation have become self-consumed. They spent their days doing what they had to do, and now they're retired. Now they can do whatever they want to do. And if they don't want to hang around with young people at all, they don't do that. Don't ask me to do anything. Don't expect me to do anything that I don't want to do. I'm retired. This is my time. Let me tell you, that thinking is anti-Christian. You'll not find it in the Bible anywhere. Let me tell you what has made America stronger. There's a lot of things you can say about it, but one of those is a great, strong sense of community that supersedes generations, that supersedes economic status, that supersedes every social barrier that would be there. I have to get off on that. Just remember this, that we have a mission. It's true for every one of us. Some of you think it's my mission. It's our mission. And that is to tell everybody about Jesus we can. And hopefully and prayerfully some of those will come to faith. And just remember that people did that for you. There's probably very few, few people, if anybody in this room, that just picked up a Bible one day and read it and became a believer. 99% of the people who come to faith do so because of the testimony, the witness of people. Don't stop sharing your faith. There's all kinds of pressure out there, social pressure for us to do that today. You understand that public realm it's discouraged but we don't go according to the realm but you know talking about God's rules this is God's house this is God's world this is his universe his rules stand Well, next week we will finish up Revelation and we will move on to homilies after that.